Ben, huh? He did an awesome job bringing it for a couple weeks. And I was interested in his opening last week where he talked about different prayers that people pray. It reflected on my uh, kids. My wife uh, 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 dropped our kids off at one of the ministries we were at before this. And uh, uh, one of the ladies uh, she saw afterwards and she had said, how, how are my kids in, in nursery today? And they said, oh, they were fine. They, they even prayed. And she goes, oh, what did they pray about? They prayed that you'd stop drinking coffee because your teeth are getting brown. And so she had gotten a chip the tooth and gotten a temporary filling, and it was turning brown. It was kind of funny. But uh, the prayers of the little ones, it's kind of an interesting thing. As we look at this Lord's Prayer, it's interesting. We could all recite the prayer if we really wanted to right now, right? And, and whatever faith tradition that you have. And it's something that I love, you know, when Ben, you know, talked about the how, right? The ACTS acronym, right? So adoration. And to me, when I look at the prayer, it's sort of like writing a letter, right? The, the outside of the letter, you're addressing it to our Father, and the place you're sending it to is who is in heaven, right? Which is cool. Then you have the salutation, salutation hallow be thy name. And then you get into the guts, But I like the doxology that we see in the video, though. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's really the whole point of prayer is that in the end, when God answers prayers or works through our prayers, he gets all the glory, right? I mean, that's the cool thing about what we're we're talking about in this series. If we ask, right? Because this model is everything. It's thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. As it is in in heaven. If you you understand what they're saying here, in heaven, God's will is always done immediately. Nobody in heaven is praying when God tells them to go do something. When he sends the angels somewhere, they don't go, well, let me pray about that. Let me think about that. They're gone. Why? Because they see God in all his glory and all his holiness and all his power and all his might. And you respond to a God like that, right? You don't think about it. You react and you act. So let me ask this question. What is possible spiritually without God's special supernatural action in the world? Nothing. Everything we aim to accomplish as followers of Jesus or as a church is impossible without God's special supernatural action intervention, action, power at work in the world. Isn't that true? For, you know, so from serving in the food pantry, whether it's Thursday or Saturday, changing a diaper in the nursery, watching the kids, teaching a Sunday school, preaching a message, our aim is to do it all in the power and grace that God gives us so that he gets all the glory for everything, right? For everything. When John and the worship team's up here, as wonderful as Jenna is, and Autumn, and Aaron, and okay, John too, when they sing, we want to be praising God, right? They're just leading us in that place. They're not doing it for them or the intention. It's all because we want to see people lifting up their voices to the God of the universe who's got the power and wants the glory and wants to see his church do what? Engage in him. Relate to him. Show a need for him. So what we do, I I think we do things as a church and really as believers uh, that we cannot do without God's special supernatural power at work in our lives. There are things we just can't do. So when we pray, when we ask, 
We're acknowledging that God has designed, ordained, and planned, and promised that He will act when we pray in accordance to His will. That's Scripture. God has promised to do things for us we cannot do for ourselves when we pray. That is when we get on our faces before God and humble ourselves and seek His face and His will for our life. It's amazing how God works, how the supernatural blessings come into our life. And they're not always in the direct answer to the prayer. Most times, it's in that interaction that we have with God while we're praying. Isn't it thrilling when you think about it? In Matthew 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Isn't that thrilling? Here is the God of the universe, the creator of all things, through whom all things are held together, and he's saying, ask. But to me, it's equally as convicting that we find in James, when James says, you do not have, because you do not ask. We don't ask. Or positively put, if you had asked God, he would have acted supernaturally to meet your need. It's a different way of thinking about that verse, isn't it? To me, it's epic that God acts in response to the prayers of his creation. I mean, to me, that's really cool when you think about it. The question I have is I look through a lot of the prayer requests before we pass them out two weeks later. And I'm wondering how many people are really praying for those. We said, hey, if, if God's answered your prayer, let us know. I don't know if we've got anybody saying that God's answered their prayer. So I have to ask the question, are we asking? Are we asking? I read one th- uh, prayer request that was somebody that was, th- all three were the same thing, anger, anger, anger. And to me, I think I see the things that we're praying for and praying about, and I know God's desire is to change us, to change our spirit, to change our attitudes, to work in us supernaturally for what? His glory. That is why prayer makes a statement that we do not exist to do the things that we cannot do unless we have the special supernatural interaction of God of the universe working in our lives, working in our ministry, working in our church. To me, when we think and we recognize that the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-planning, all-governing God wills for Christ's exalted prayers to be the occasion for him to engage. It's interesting. If our mission as a church is to make disciples that make disciples who make disciples, we need God's intervention. We need God's power to do that. No matter how great your Sunday school teacher is, no matter how great somebody speaks to you or how eloquently a message comes from the pulpit or the power of the illustration, without God's intervention, there is no salvation. It's Jesus who saves, right? And when Jesus works in somebody's life, only Jesus can bring joy to when you minister and when you serve. It's not glamorous to serve in the nursery. It's not glamorous to serve sometimes with the kids. It's not glamorous sometimes to get up and preach. 
But the interesting thing is what God compels us to do as we engage and interact with him, it's interesting. He says in order to do it well, in order to do it and see my power at work, you've got to pray. You've got to ask for me to move. He wants to, right? He came to seek to save the lost. It's interesting. I think when we see that, you know, only God can make a person's heart change. Only God can take someone who is so far from him and bring them to a point where they drop on their knees and they say, praise Jesus. Only God can do that, which is why we declare loudly that prayer is not only desired by God, it is his ask of us, for us. You get that? It's God's ask of us for us. The whole point of prayer is God doesn't need our prayers, but God works through our prayers to show his power and his might and his glory that it manifests praise unto him for what he does in our lives. The fact that he saved us, the fact that he redeemed us, the fact that he forgave us. And all he wants us to do is ask. Which leads me to one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture when you think about this. And it's kind of the crescendo to what, we're, what he's talking about when he, when he talks about how to pray. In Ephesians, and I love this, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask. Here's part of the problem. We're not asking of God's abundance. We're just asking from the menial things in our lives. We're not thinking really big of God because we're not asking big of him. That's why I love it. it. says that all that we ask or think, and here's the beauty of it, according to the power at work within us, God wants to work in us. Ephesians says that he's got things planned out for us to do. John 5 said he's already at work in our lives. The question, are we asking? And are we asking in a way that reflects how big God is? Do we think big for God? Or do we think in these little tiny sound bites of our lives and these little incremental things that we need God to do to make our lives better versus thinking, what's the bigger picture here? What matters more? What am I asking for? And more importantly, how do I think about God before I ask? Proverbs says how a man thinketh so he is. And how we think about God is going to really determine and sort of construct how we pray to him as individuals, and as a church. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask. In other words, he's able to do more than you're going to ask. So why not ask big? Why not think big? It's interesting why we don't do that. See, God will complete his purposes by prayer. God does not intend to complete his saving purposes in the world without prayer. He will complete these purposes that is crystal clear in Scripture and he'll do it by prayer that is also crystal clear in Scripture. When Paul in 2 Thessalonians 3.1, here's what he says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored at his happening among you. In other words, God came to you and God's sovereign grace, you heard the word, and you were able to see it for what it was, and it, and it worked in in you, and it had an effect on you. It sped ahead and was honored. 
I heard a preacher of a mega church here locally, and he was telling his people that, uh, and when it comes to politics, uh, uh, have your opinion, give your opinion, leave God out of it, and don't bring in the Bible. And I went, oh my gosh. Faith comes by hearing, by hearing the word of God. God's word won't, won't come back void. My illustrations aren't going to do that. God says, my word has power. And Paul says, hey, speed ahead. In other words, be prepared for situations in your life or where you're going or what you're doing so that my word will go ahead of you, my spirit will go ahead of you and work in the hearts and the minds of people that you may not even know yet. To me, that is cool. That God's word works for us, and God talks about in Ephesians that uh, we are made created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, God has plans. The questions: Are we ready to be used? Are we willing to ask? Are we willing to think that God could really do something incredible through me? Because if you don't, you're thinking about you. You're not thinking about how a great God is. You're limiting God's power at work in your life based on who you are. Not on who he is. And that's sad and disappointing to me. Why would Paul say that? He says it because the advance of God's saving power in the world happens in response to prayer, to the ask. God will see it so there's a praying churches everywhere. If not us, there will be because God wants to work in the world to save the lost, to heal the brokenhearted, to do a work that brings glory to his name, that demonstrates his power, his might, and his glory. Are we willing to ask? My desire is that the prayer of a church like ours and our hearts will be something that really changes how we think about God and thus changing what we ask of him for our lives. My second favorite passage in scripture is Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It's a great passage that really brings some things home for us here today. And I think that we are called to stand in our ask on our prayers on Philippians 4, 6 through 7. And here's what it says. Do not be anxious about anything. And in the Greek, it means anything. But in everything, in the Greek, it also means everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, ask. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This passage lets you know that when you seek God in that spiritual devotion, he's going to work in you in such a way that no matter what anxieties or worries that you got going on in your life, for some way and somehow you may not be able to understand it, he's going to work through that to what? Give you peace in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of your financial issues, in the midst of your relational issues, in the midst of anything you got going on, you could have peace. He's not going to take it away, but he's going to give you an inner strength through it to reflect his glory so that he gets honored and praised. I mean, to me, it's a cool passage. To me, when you look at that passage, it starts out negatively. Do not be anxious. It's like a command. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Then it switches to the positive. 
in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is cool. Think about it, and related to what Ben was talking about last week, prayer, that's that big word that talks about that spiritual devotion, that connection, that heart for God. Supplication's the smaller word that talks about the things that you need or the things you want to see God do. And then with thanksgiving is really the key to it. That's why when we looked at that ACTS acronym, it's an important thing. Thanksgiving is a key. When I go to God with a grateful heart, it's amazing what God does and how he blesses me. God's peace is promised to those who come to God in prayer with thanksgiving and supplication. To me, it really centers around that whole phrase that Ben preached about in week two, hallow be thy name. When you recognize who you're praying to and what power he holds, you can imagine how it changes the way you think about what you're going to ask for. I always use this illustration when I went to McDonald's. I bought my son, I think it was Wes, and he wanted some fries, and I bought an order of fries. And when he got the fries in the car, they smelled so good, right? I said, hey, Wes, give me some fries. And he said, these are my fries. And I says, you little, I could have bought you 10 fries. And I said, okay, give me some fries. And he gives me one. Man, do you think sometimes that's how we are with God? God can open up the floodgates of heaven into our lives and do amazing things, and we ask him for one fry. Because we're not want to give anything to him. We don't want to take the time and, and devotion to really pour our hearts out to him. To me, making requests thankfully means that we will be content and thankful with whatever God wisely and lovingly gives us. That's the key. We're not demanding, we're asking. And then we're going to wait on what God does because he knows what we need, right? It's interesting because when we let our requests be made known to God like this, in the devotion of prayer, with specific requests for help, with a heart that is thankful for everything God has designed for us and all the things he's brought in our lives, both the pleasures and the pain, his peace will guard our hearts and minds to keep us free from anxiety and all the sin that goes with anxiety in a way that defies rational explanation and surpasses all understanding. Have you ever been in that place where your life is a wreck or you're in difficulty or you're in stress and all of a sudden you reach out to God and you cry out to God and God just comforts? You can't explain it, but you're okay when you're not okay. I want you to think a few things about prayers recorded in scripture. I was going through this and I thought, man, there's some, this is, you know, the prayer of Jesus that he gives us and when he teaches his apostles how to pray, it's great. You really want to hear a great prayer, go to John 17. It's your homework for this week and just read Jesus' prayer right before he's going to give himself up as a sacrifice. And, and when you read it, reflect on what he's asking and who he's asking. You'll see what he thought about his father by his ask. That's a good question for us. What do people think about your God if they knew what your ask was? How big would he be to someone else? 
I was, you know, when you read Chronicles and you're in First Chronicles 4, uh, the author of Chronicles provides a list of Judah's descendants. It's kind of a cool thing. He can't help but stop himself when it comes, in the midst of this, when it comes to Jabez. He was a man, he wants us to notice, he was a man of true honor. And, and, and his prayer is awesome. It's simple. Here's what he says. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be on me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. Isn't that cool? How many people want to be free from pain? How many people want to see God expand their territory, expand their influence? Man, it's prayer. That's how God works. How about Jonah's prayer for salvation? I know a lot of us will never be swallowed up in a fish in the middle of the ocean, thank God. But listen to the prayer of the heart of Jonah in the midst of all this. is in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deeps, into the very heart of the seas. And the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. And watch this. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I mean, think about that. In the midst of all that, here's what he says. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayers rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who claim the worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. And that's so true. When we turn to other things to find our worth, to find our needs, to find our satisfaction in life, we are turning from the God who wants to give us all of that. And it says it takes you away from God. So the question this morning is, is your ask, your personal ask of God, is it about things that the world is providing that you don't really need God to do? God doesn't need to come into your life to help you balance your budget. It just takes discipline. God wants you to come into your life to take your budget and use it for his glory. How about David's prayer? It's tough when you go into the Psalms because the Psalms, there's a lot of prayers there, which tells me why David was a man after God's own heart. You know why? Because when you read the Psalms, he was pouring his heart out to God all the time, and he had big asks because he knew he served a big God. Psalm 3 says this. It's a great psalm. We're going to read the whole thing. It's kind of short. It says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. He's got problems. Arise, O Lord, exclamation point. I love that. He's commanding God, arise, Lord. Deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. I've wanted to pray that a million times, but I just don't have the guts. (laughs) Think about these precatory prayers that David brings sometimes. I'm going, oh my gosh, I could never do that. 
Strike my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessings be on your people. Isn't that awesome? Here's one of the problems we had. I'm going to end with this. I'm going to end in a minute. But is that we, because we don't think of a big God, and we think of ourselves, we sometimes diminish our asks because of who we are. And that's a shame. Because God's provision doesn't depend on our performance. It's based on his character. God doesn't love us because we're some special people. God loves, loves us in spite of us. His love and his, 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 he's committed to us and he's committed to loving us because of who he is, in spite of who we are. That's why Jesus said, for, for why we were yet still sinners, estranged from God, Christ died for us because it had nothing to do with who we are. We're a wretched people. And his love overcomes all of that. Isn't that awesome? No more in the story of Manasseh. I don't know how familiar you are with this, but to me, they don't record the prayer in Scripture, but they do say he prayed. And I want you to hear who this guy was. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. and know he took over for his father, Hezekiah. That's part of the reason when, you give too, when somebody's too young and you give them a lot of authority, it's not good because they're not mature enough to handle it. And it says, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people. For he built the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down. He erected altars to the Baals and made Asheroth and the worship all the hosts of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord of which the Lord said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for the hosts of heaven in two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his sons. He burned his sons as an offering in the valley of Sanhinnom. And he used fortune-telling and omens and sorcery and dealt with mediums and necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Did you ever think about that? Does my life ever provoke God to anger? His did. The Bible says we do reap what we sow. Here it comes. And he carved an image of the idol that he made and set it in the house of God, of which God said to David and Solomon to his son, in the house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen, out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever, and I will no more remove the foot of Israel from the land that I appointed for your fathers, if only they will be careful to do all that I have commanded them, all the law, the statutes, and the rules given through Moses. Manasseh led Judah in the, in, in, in and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than the nations of the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. That's pretty bad. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. They paid no attention. Therefore the Lord brought up from the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. Judgment came. And when he was in distress, as bad as he was, as wicked as he was, king says he was the most wicked of all the kings. When he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem, to his kingdom. Then Manasseh, knew the 
the Lord was God. Man, I got to tell you, I don't care what situation you're in today. God can heal. God can work. God can deliver. God can save. God can do miracles. I want to play a quick, play, uh, play a quick video that kind of demonstrates that. And then I'm going to close with a couple things, a vision, what I would like to see for our church when it comes to this concept of asking. Can you guys go ahead and play? I got married very young um, to my husband. Uh, We met at Christian camp, and we were married for 12 years. I found out um, 12 years into my marriage that uh, my husband had committed adultery. And, And when I did, it took me on a journey. So the first time that um, I really began to um, really work on hearing God's voice, I was laying on my bedroom floor and um, I heard him ask me, ask me a question. And I said, okay, is my marriage over? And, uh, And I heard no before I could even finish my thought. And then I said, okay, well then what do I have to do? And I heard nothing. A friend of mine, uh, told me to pray and ask God what the key was. And this was literally the week of my divorce going through. Out of obedience, I did. I prayed. And the the next morning, God showed me a picture of a key and the word love. I started loving my husband unconditionally, no matter what he did. We have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. And, um, you know, through that process, my daughters were able to see and I didn't hide much from them, so they saw when I was hurt, and they, they saw me um, praying, and um, we would play praise and worship music, and we would dance, and and go to church, and we would pray for Daddy. <laughs> and I remember when my, my oldest found out that her Daddy was coming home, she ran over to me the, the moment he walked out the door and she said, Mom, our prayers worked. You know, Daddy's coming home. And that was just amazing because I was so broken and hurt but trying to be a mom. And the enemy gets in there and says, well, you're failing, you're not doing enough. And But when that happened, you know, my daughters got to witness that. We planned um, a restoration ceremony for later that, a few months later, and then we got remarried. It took over four years, but um, today my marriage is restored, and my husband is home, and I'm expecting our third baby. The four years that my husband was gone was a journey for God to be enough. No matter what happened with my marriage, no matter what happened with my life, I came to the point where it didn't matter because all I had was Jesus and that was good. Is Jesus enough? Is he a big enough ask in your life? Do you think of him in a way that's transformational? Or if you've come to the status quo and are settled with that mediocrity of life, To me, my dream for us at Jackson Creek is followed in a couple passages, and I want to sketch it out for you because I I think it's important for us to visualize it. First, in Matthew 6, it says, When you pray, that we read in week one, 
go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in, is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So there's a reward. We talked about that in week one. But my vision is we have hundreds of people in this church that find a secret place every day to seek God and to seek his power and to seek his presence in everything that they're doing for his glory and his honor. Then there's 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that, and this is why he's asking, Paul, your prayers may not be hindered. My prayer is that every man in here who's married will find time to get before God and in prayer, but more importantly, before they do that, obey God and honor their wives so that the prayers that they do lift up to heaven, God works supernaturally in. You see, everything that we see that's visible and physical starts with that which is invisible and spiritual. And if men are going to lead their families, it's going to start in obedience to the word and then followed by submission to God on their knees. Next is Ephesians 6, 4, where it says, Fathers, bring up your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Tough job in today's world. That's going to take a lot of prayer. But my vision and my hope for Jackson Creek is that all the men, all the fathers in this room will get on their knees before God and ask God to help them do what they need to do to raise their kids in the spirit and admonition of the Lord. To me, when men are doing what men are supposed to do in the scriptures, it's amazing how transformational things will be in the church. And then it's followed by Acts 6, 4, which says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And I dream that everything we do in this church, every meeting, every staff meeting, every time we come into this place, every time we meet as a ministry, every time we meet as a church, I'm so thankful that we started incorporating prayer into our services. But everything would be surrounded around the power of understanding that if God doesn't work, nothing of eternal significance happens. And if we're all out there, all contributing in our little prayer closets and asking God to do something, it will be amazing what he will do. And then there's 1 Corinthians 14, 16. It says, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. In other words, it's good to pray publicly. It's good to let people know what your prayer needs are so that when God works and you praise him for his work, others are blessed. To me, one of the things we should be doing from the pulpit all the time is, is really, really celebrating all that God's through answered prayer because if somebody comes in here who's going to have needs and is going to have concerns and is probably going to have anxieties, see that this is a church where God is working and answering prayers, they're going to want to be here. They're going to want to know the God we know. The God that when they see our lives in conflict or disarray, where we have peace, they're going to want to know, how could you have peace in the midst of all of this? I want us to be a people who pray both privately and publicly. And finally, Matthew 15, it says, 
these people, he's, he's, he's sort of admonishing him. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines of the commandments of men. I want us to be a church that prays for the sacredness of Scripture, for the true holding to Scripture. I want to be a church that we're praying when we're praising. You know, when they're singing and you see a verse and it just speaks to your heart, there's nothing wrong with saying, Amen, Jesus, either in your mind or out loud. Praise you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Because here's the thing. When God speaks to us, he speaks through people. He'll speak through music. He'll speak through a message. Because here's the thing. God wants you to get it and understand. He wants you to know he cares. He wants you to know he loves you. He's committed to you. He wants to work in you. And it starts with us acknowledging him. And it starts with us asking him to work in our lives. If we're willing. To me, God inhabits the praises of his people, the Bible says. And when we're praising God, let me give you a clue. That's prayer. That is prayer. That's acknowledging God for who he is. It's another way of saying, hallowed be thy name. Praise you, Jesus, for what you're doing in my life. So I want to ask you as we close, how's your ask? Are you asking the God of the universe for big enough things? Are you believing in God to ask him big, bold requests? He wants that. Because you know what? The bigger the request, the bigger the glory. It's simple. We want to stay the way we are, okay. I don't want to be big to be big. I want to be big to see God glorified in everything that we do and everybody that walks through the door, and everybody that interacts with us, they don't walk out there thinking, oh, that was a great worship team. Oh, that was a great message. Oh, I like the guy's jokes who was doing the verses. I want to walk out of there going, man, they believe in a big God. Their God is awesome, and I want him to be my God. Father in heaven, we thank you for today. And Lord, as we get ready to sing, if you're working on anybody's heart, I'd ask that, Lord, the, your altar is always open. And Lord, we just know that sometimes we hold back because of who we are. And I know, Lord, you want us to let go because of who you are. And may we do that this morning. May we just come to your altar of grace and we may, Lord, pick up our hearts and pull that person up who's, who seems impossible to save. Or the situation that seems impossible to resolve. Or my feelings seem impossible to change. Lord, we know you're the God of the impossible and you make it possible when we look to you as the answer to all life's questions and all life's problems. Lord, may we see you differently and may we walk out of here encouraged, enthused, and may we be those people that ask because of what we need. May we be the people who ask and it will be given who knock and will see doors open. Lord, may we be people who believe in the power of who you are. I just pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.